I'm beginning a new series today, which will be based on 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and I'm giving myself a lot of preacher's license. I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse exposition, that kind of in-depth teaching we tend to reserve for the 5 p.m. teaching service, so I uh, encourage you to come back to the topics that uh, very largely Bruce is doing at the 5 o'clock teaching service, where we have a whole hour to in-depth Bible teaching. But I'm going to highlight some stuff. I'm going to take some stuff out of Corinthians as the Holy Spirit leads. And as I've been looking into the next few Sundays that I'll be doing this, it really is quite systematic. But, uh, but we're going to look at highlights and apply them to our lives here in London. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9 for my opening message. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and not all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You just need to know something about this church, the church of Corinth. It was in a mess. I mean, so much was going wrong now, Paul has to spend a great deal of time addressing them, warning them, bringing them back to what they should be doing. And uh, I kind of like that. I like the thought that we have uh, an epistle in the New Testament <coughs> directly related to problems that Christians were facing at the coal face, the cutting edge of daily life and living. Let me pause to say that it is not unusual for a church to have problems. Amen. And a lot of people complain, oh, they complain about the issues in the church, do nothing about it, uh, and go and try and find a perfect church. Let me warn you, this is a Kensington Temple senior ministerial warning from this pulpit. If you find a perfect church, please don't join it. Because <clears throat> you'll spoil it <laughs> straight away. <laughs> when we talk about a church... We talk about the people in it. And we're all imperfect people. And here in Kensington Temple, with our strong emphasis on discipleship, it is all about the imperfections that we have in our own lives and how we seek to address them, particularly in our Sunday teaching services and also in the cell group, weekly cell groups, where we face the issues of discipleship and say, Jesus, I want to become more like you. And we join together to do that. So we are all growing. And when we look at all the problems that this church was having, I, I think really it is summarized by what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. 
there was an issue of spiritual immaturity. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I think one of the tragedies of our age is that there is a far too many immature, baby, carnal Christians. And Paul says, I couldn't even address you as spiritual people because you are so immature. Now, that was not an insult. It was a fact. And spiritual maturity is not how long, how many years you've been a Christian. Because you can be a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and still be very immature. But I say, to, say this to you all because I'm sure our desire is to grow in Christ and become mature. Let 2013 be the year in which you say, I am going to grow up in Christ. Make it an ambition. Grow up before you grow old. Amen and amen. Now, why were, were the problems there? I need to speak a little bit about the, the society that they found themselves in. And in many ways, we should only need to address society in, in, in terms of how we are going to minister to them and reach them for Christ. But actually, what happened in those days and is happening today was that the world was creeping into the church. The attitudes and values of the world were invading the church. And Paul had to get the world out of them. And what world were they living in? The ancient Greek world of Corinth. My, it was a byword. This wasn't the Corinth of Paul's day, but the old Corinth. It, they had a reputation of being crazy people. I mean, wildly immoral. In fact, to say that you were, you, that you were playing the Corinthian meant that all over the Greek world that you were being immoral. To Corinthianize mean, meant to be a prostitute. That was the old Corinth. And, and even the Corinth of Paul's day seems to be still affected by that spirit of sexual immorality. Idolatry. There were false and divisive philosophies that were invading the church so that people couldn't even grasp such a thing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually took place because it was totally against the philosophy of their day and generation. So Paul has to speak into those situations. There was also a spirit of litigation. Corinth was the place where everybody sued everybody. It was the United States of America of the ancient world. And have you noticed that in our country too, litigation, the spirit of litigation is coming in. And now you just sue everybody. You can't even walk down a pavement or even in your own home. And you, you, somebody falls off a chair in your own home, you're going to get sued. Not so in the church of Jesus Christ, right? Wrong. I have noticed that Christians now are suing the pants off each other. And I've had to deal with so many cases where people, the first point is to sue. To sue your brother and to sue your sister. And without going into details in recent history, I have personally suffered defraud rather than take my brother to court. I refuse to do it. I refuse to go into the spirit of litigation because there are, there's such a thing as church discipline. There's such a thing as wise men and women of God. And so Paul has to deal with the spirit of the age creeping into the church. And there are, I don't know, about eight, eight major things Paul has to deal with. And um, we'll touch on many of them, all of them, if the Holy Spirit wants, but certainly those that the Holy Spirit highlights as we go through. One of the big issues was division. 
this sectarian spirit, gossip, criticism, partisanship. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and even the super spiritual ones say, well, I'm of Jesus, or are you really? Sexual immorality in the church, issues with marriage and divorce, problems and, and compromise over idolatry. There were big divisions and problems over women wearing the veil. What was that all about? The Lord's Supper, there was an absolute travesty of what Jesus instituted. Let's just summarize it. They were even getting drunk at communion service. Now, we have a solution to this. And the solution is, when I give you this much, and anyway, no alcohol. So it's impossible for you to get drunk in our communion services. All right. So we've dealt with that one. But the whole issue of the carnality that was manifesting in, in their worship and something else that was happening. See, these people were saved out of a pagan background and environment. And uh, it would be a bit like what we face in Africa or in Asia where people come from a background or where they're idolatrous and worshipping spirits and engaged in spirits. And many of us who, who minister in Africa know that we have to bring people out of that environment and teach them the difference between demonic spirits and how demonic spirits operate and how the Holy Spirit operates. Well, the indications in this letter, they, don't, they didn't care. If they prophesied, oh, who cares what spirit we're prophesying in? And signs and wonders and miracles, it doesn't really matter because it's all fantastic. And Paul says, no, no, no. No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And anybody that denigrates Christ under the Spirit is not ministering by the Holy Spirit. And today, we have many people who have not yet learned to discern the difference between a genuine miracle, a genuine move of God, a genuine work of God, and all the false pseudo-manifestations and demonic manifestations. They were abusing spiritual gifts. And as I mentioned also, they were denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So there was a lot that Paul had to deal with. And as I say, the major theme is grow up, he's saying. Come on, I want to bring you out of carnality. I want to bring you out of immaturity. I want you to grow. I want you to understand. I want you to develop in the things of God. And I'm saying, notwithstanding, you might say, well, all those problems there, none of them apply to me. But here's the key. The issue is, how much do you want to grow in 2013? And I, you know, don't tell me. I'll watch you. I'll see how many say, I'm hungry to really get to grips with the Bible. I'm hungry to really be trained as a leader. I'm going to get involved in evangelism. I'm going to get involved in outreach. I'm going to get involved in the cell ministry. I'm going to get involved in serving God. I'm going to grow. I'm going to attend as much as I possibly can and take everything that I can get so that I can grow and rise to the full stature that Christ has set for me. Can I have an amen? Amen and amen. We do this by believing and obeying the word. Believing and obeying the word. And also learning how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled living. So as you can see on the screen behind me. My theme for this morning is in the grip of grace. Before I go any further, let me acknowledge Max Lucado's book by the same name. And I have borrowed, not stolen, but I have borrowed that title for us today. And I love it because as well as being alliteration, it's good for a preacher, grip of grace, 
It gives me an opportunity twice in one sentence to roll my R's. And as you know, when I'm highly anointed, those R's start rolling. The grip of grace. What this means is that God has got a hold of you, gripped your life by His grace, and He promises never to let you go. Never, ever, ever let you go. We know the Bible teaches we are saved by grace through faith. But God has not just saved us by grace, but He is the God who keeps us and holds us and sustains us by grace so that we are preserved, blameless and faultless to the very end. Not the bitter end, but the blessed end until Jesus Christ returns. (coughs) Excuse me. One of my heroes of the faith is Watchman Nee. I don't know if you've heard about him. Some of his books are still available. I don't necessarily agree with everything that he said, but the point is, he's a big hero of mine for a number of reasons. He suffered for the faith in China, and I knew a little bit of him through indirect contact. The man who gave Amanda away, Dr. Shepard, uh, here, you know, to me, he gave it to me, you know, right, okay, not away, away, but to me here in this church, little under 34 years ago. Is that right? Have I got, have I got the, because if I haven't, we'll have a discussion, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> 1979. Okay. He worked with Watchman Nee uh, in China. He was a medical doctor, Dr. Shepard. Told me many stories about him. He suffered for his faith, did Watchman Nee, powerful man of God. He tells the story, Watchman Nee, of how one day, a fairly new convert came to him in great distress. And the new convert said, whatever I do, I just don't seem to be able to be faithful to the Lord. The harder I try, it's just so, I just feel, in fact, I'm pretty sure I'm losing my salvation. And Watchman Nee very wisely answered like this. He said, you see, that dog, that's my dog. My dog is well-trained, never messes in the house, obeys me always. My dog is a delight. But in the kitchen right now, my baby boy is there. He messes up. He messes himself. He messes his food. But who's going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, but my son. He said, you inherit not because of your perfection, but because of the grace of God at work in your life. And by the grace of God, you are sons and daughters of God, and he's never, ever going to let you know. In these verses that I read to you, grace is a very strong theme. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4, Paul says, as we just read, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now, what a way to start a letter, especially when he knows there are eight major big things that he's going to have to deal with. But he begins with the grace of God because he knows that without the grace of God, we're nothing, but with the grace of God, we can overcome. Every problem, every sin, every bondage, every stronghold, and every curse of Satan that is operating in our life by the grace of God. 
And so Paul says, I thank God for you. Why? Because the grace of God is at work in you. You know, I've, I've, I, I, I tried this, not just once, but I remember a time when it was just so powerful. Always affirm the grace of God in somebody's life. Somebody came to me for counseling, and I'd heard in advance of all the stuff that he got into. And yeah, sure it was, absolutely right, the rumors were true, and this guy went through all the stuff, and I thought, dear father, how can I possibly recognize the grace of God in this guy? But then I got it. I said, do you know, I see God's grace in your life. He looked at me and said, where? No, no, I really do see Christ in you. He said, how? I said, it's very simple. You're here. And it's the grace of God that's in you saying, there's stuff in my life. I've blown it. I've double deluxe, still a boss, blown it. But I still want Jesus. I still want a breakthrough. I, I need your help. And I said, that's the grace of God. If it was not the grace of God, you wouldn't even be here. You'd be out there forgetting all about this stuff. Whenever you're helping somebody or dealing somebody, recognize the grace of God. And Paul knows that a lot that he's going to say later on is going to have to be based in the grace of God. It's all very well to look at somebody and say, what you're doing is wrong. Repent. You need more repentance. And we castigate them and we criticize them and we pound them to the ground and we think we're being holy. No, no, no. It's not human effort, my friends. It's the grace of God. And so he says, the grace of God was given. In other words, it's a done deal. God has taken hold of your life. Sorry, it's too late. It's a done deal. For the devil, it's already too late. Devil, you're too late. This guy's saved. Amen. He's going to make it. God's grace is at work in his life. So devil, you have already lost. Amen. And so then Paul goes on to say, verses 8 and 9, this same grace is going to continue till the end. He will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful to, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you get the picture? God, by his grace, has gripped your life and it's a done deal. You are saved and you are going to make it to the end. Give him a big praise in this house. Now, when we understand the grace of God, we will not be as shocked as we might be when we hear how Paul describes these people. He describes these people who are, so many of them, caught up in gross immorality, getting drunk at the Lord's table, etc., etc. And he writes to them, and he says, Oh, I write to you believers in Corinth, who are sanctified. That means set apart and holy. And he actually goes on to say, you are God's holy people, saints. He begins by addressing them as holy people, as saints, sanctified. Now, okay, he is talking about their position in Christ. He's not talking about their behavior. Their behavior was not sanctified. But their position in Christ meant that they were already set apart by the grace of God for Jesus. 
They were God's holy people. And this is how we need to look at one another and how you need to look at yourself. Never look at yourself other than being in Christ. And everything that you do for Jesus, let it flow from who you are in Him. We don't do this in order to be accepted by God, but we live for God because we have already been accepted by God. That's the message of grace. It's the greatest motivating influence in our lives to know that it's a done deal. God has saved us and set us apart to himself. And you know, where this meets us practically is whenever we find ourselves striving. Very hard for preachers to get this right when we explain it. Because living for God isn't just sitting back and letting God do everything. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We have to seek God. We have to turn away from our sins. We have to build a godly lifestyle. We're active in this process, but it only happens by the grace of God and by the power of God. And in, in my own life, and I'm sure you'll identify with this, you know when you've crossed the line from the spirit to the flesh, from dependence on God and self-effort when you're stepping in that because there is this sense of striving, trying in our own strength rather than depending on God's power at work in us. So this is how it operates at a, at a practical level. Now that doesn't mean to say that the absence of striving means, you know, what time are you setting your alarm to get up Monday morning? Oh, five minutes before I have to leave the house. What about the time you spend with Jesus? Oh, it's okay. I leave all that to him. No striving. No striving. All right? Just, just let it happen. Of course, when you are that irresponsible, it never happens. Because God says, you have to cooperate with me. So there is discipline. And we do have to make a moral effort. Of course we do. But not in our own strength, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, Paul says twice that these people are confirmed by the grace of God. And I want to focus on that before we conclude today. And this, it appears twice, first of all in verse 6, where Paul says, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Then in verse 8, Paul goes on to say, God will also confirm you to the end. And I want to talk about that. This word confirmed which is translated, confirmed in New King James Version, means to be grounded, well-founded, sure-footed, deeply rooted, to be made sure, to be made stable, to be assured, to be established. And so what Paul is saying is that God, by His grace, has established you and confirmed you and given you a deep assurance in your own heart. And that's what we need today. People who are sure about their faith, who are able to say, yes, I have met Christ. He is real. The gospel is the truth. God's way is the right way. And I am convinced of that. How does that happen? It can only happen by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you the assurance that Jesus Christ is real. And that the word of God is true. And the gospel is the power of God 
for salvation. And when you are convinced about these things, then you have a good foundation to follow and to build on in your life. And that's why we spend a considerable amount of our ministry consolidating and establishing new believers in the faith. So the Living Free program is the teach 10-week teaching program, and it's not just preaching, it's also interaction, small group work. You come, everybody comes together, there's a message, there's a manual, and it goes on for 10 weeks. And at the end of that time, people are transformed. And the point about this is that it's originally designed for new believers who go on an encounter, meet Jesus over the weekend, and get set free, and then come and develop a new pattern of living over the next 10 weeks or so. But the majority of people are not new believers who attend this. Uh, some old believers, some new believers, some in-between believers, but everyone that has come and has given themselves to that 10-week time of waiting on God and hearing God's Word and applying it to their lives are totally transformed. And I suppose this is a, by way of an advert because it's coming in two weeks' time. But remember, this is what we give attention to, that people can be grounded and so strong in Christ and can be convinced that they will be able to stand and withstand all the pressures and oppressive influences of our modern-day Corinth, known as London. So this is about being confirmed. How did Paul, how, does, how did the Holy Spirit work? First of all, he says, you, the, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. What is ta he's talking about? He's talking about an experience with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. We are a charismatic community. Corinth was a charismatic community. We're a Pentecostal church. You might think we're charismaniacs and Pentecostals. We don't mind. We love the Holy Spirit. Oh dear. I'm going to try that again. Let me rewind the tape. We love the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, that's better. Everything we know about Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit, which is why from the pulpit and onwards, every single day of our lives, we should be open to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you going to do in my life today? What are you going to show me of Jesus today? What gifts are you going to manifest in my life? What words of revelation are you going to give me? What miracles are going to pour from my life today? That's a Spirit-filled church. Amen? Amen. Now, I here this week, Rainer Bonke and the preaching team would never let you get away with that. They'll keep it up for half an hour until you say amen properly. But we'll wait for the next time. Okay. So, uh, if you have a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, this is what Paul is saying about this. And it's a very important scripture. Um, he says, In him you also trusted... After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you come to Christ, you believe the gospel message. You put your trust in Christ and you become a born-again believer. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, but He doesn't live silently. He wants to manifest Himself. 
And the first manifestation of the Spirit in a believer's life, Paul calls in, one, in Ephesians 1 verse 13, a sealing, sealing. And it goes back to the ancient practice, in fact still happens a bit today, where a wax seal would seal a letter with a seal and a, and a mark. It was a, a stamp of authenticity. It was also to do with security, so you know it wasn't tampered, wasn't tampered with. And so Paul says that's what God does. He marks you with a stamp on your life that you know that Jesus is real, that you know you belong to him, that you know you are born again, and you have a testimony in the power of the Holy Spirit. So many believers today are lacking assurance. I see this. I'm shocked sometimes when I see believers, even cell leaders, come forward as some did this week when Bonky made an appeal for salvation. It's, Excuse me, you are a cell leader. Yes. Well, why are you coming forward for salvation? Do you want Bonky to pray for you? Is that it? Well, get back and wait till he calls people to be prayed for. Don't line up with the sinners and embarrass me because you are a cell leader. But sometimes people, believers still feel they don't have the assurance Maybe you today are saying, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really know that I'm saved. Well, you better get on your knees and say, God, show me. Because when the Holy Spirit hits you, you know you are saved. Because he stamps your life with a seal. You have an assurance. Uh, and it's an experience. It's not just a faith deduction that says, okay, I believe. Therefore, I'm saved. Therefore, I belong to God. That's a good thing to do, to work from the Word of God and educate your spirit and teach your spirit to learn some truth. But there's also another way in which the Holy Spirit witnesses directly to your spirit that you are born of God and He confirms you in the faith. He establishes you in the faith. And time spent in the presence of God is never wasted. You get up from your knees and you say, I know whom I have believed. And he is real. I'm born again. I've moved out of darkness into light. I've left the world behind me. And I'm living for Christ. Katika jinala yesu. Amen and amen and amen. Then Paul says, because he's going to come and deal with their abuse of spiritual gifts. But at least he says, it's wonderful how the gifts of the Spirit are manifesting amongst you. Now many of us today, we would just want to get to the correction I know as a leader, I have to, have to stop myself so often and saying, the way you did that, in the, that, that prophecy was, it, it was bad what you did. And I want to correct them. But I got to correct myself and say, that's not the right spirit in which we deal with one another. First of all, say, thank God that that person is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Thank God that that person is speaking in tongues. Thank God that that person is stepping out into the gifts of the Holy Spirit when most people are too chicken to step out. Amen. And Paul says, you came, you were enriched in every way by the Spirit. Spiritual gifts were manifested, particularly utterance and knowledge. And he was saying by this that they were excelling or at least manifesting profusely the, the, the speaking in tongues and prophecy and he has to later on correct them because they were abusing it but I'll tell you something give me something to correct that's easier than giving me somebody who is never going to step out amen and amen so stir yourselves up and manifest spiritual gifts your cell leader will help you 
They'll help you better after this message today, but they will help you. And words of revelation and knowledge. I mean, this was a charismatic community. They were prophesying many times accurately. They were speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and wonderful things were happening. Words of knowledge. It was a wonderful charismatic community, but it was also very fleshly and immature. Which tells us that the gifts of the Spirit are God's grace gifts. Sometimes you hear and see a miracle and you say, how wonderful and you look at the instrument and you say, my God, my God, how could that ever be? How could you ever use that person? There was a man ministering in London many, many years ago. And God was using him in mighty signs and wonders and miracles. But his life, we not mention names and I'm not criticizing. I'm just mentioning a principle. His life, oh my word. And I said, God, how can you use him? How can you do that? And of course, it's God's grace. Spiritual gifts are not a mark of maturity. Spiritual gifts are a grace manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So we don't measure our spirituality by how loudly or how much we speak in tongues or how many healings and miracles. We measure our spirituality by how much Jesus is formed in our lives. But Paul is commending them. This is how God confirmed and established them. Now, that's in verse 6 and in verse 8, he has this remarkable statement. The grace that has gripped you will continue to hold you. And he says, he will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. A group of botanists were exploring in the Alps and they were wanting to look at new flora. And one of the scientists through binoculars thought he perceived at the bottom of a ravine a very rare flower. But it was almost impossible to reach. And these guys, these scientists weren't young and agile. So one of the company was a fairly young boy, a youth, a young adult. And so they said, okay, would you go and get it? We'll tie a rope around you and we'll lower you into the ravine. And the boy said nothing and just disappeared. They said, oh, he's too chicken, he's gone. Where? But he came back a few minutes later with an older man. And he said, I'll do it if this is the man who holds me. And they said, why him? So he said, oh, he's my dad. That's how we know that he's got hold of our lives. And we may have to be in the most dangerous situation, dangerous positions, and dangerous places. But when our dad has got a hold of the rope, he's never going to let us go. So the God who established us and gripped us by his grace in the first instance is the God who's going to hold on to us by his grace until the very end, the blessed end. In the meantime... We wait, but it's with expectancy. This isn't a boring wait. I hate waiting for anything. If I have to catch a bus, I walk between the bus stops. I can't stand waiting for the bus. Of course, the bus comes, I'm halfway there. You know, it happens every time. But when we wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that now we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. 
He's not yet revealed to these eyes. When he comes back, he will be revealed in all his glory. So we are growing and strengthening our faith. And that's how God sustains us by ensuring that he enables us to grow in grace and to grow in faith. And we're waiting with certainty, with expectation that nothing is ever going to be wasted. And when Christ returns, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Paul says, grace has so gripped your life that when Christ returns, I guarantee you will be guiltless without fault and without condemnation in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's medicine. That's not available on the national health. It's not available in private medicine. It only comes from His Majesty's government-approved heavenly pharmacy. It's medicine to your soul to know that whatever you go through, good and bad, however many times you slip and fall and all the ways in which you could count yourself a failure, you never, never, never can doubt one thing. You're going to make it. You're going to be blameless. The word is guiltless. Without guilt, the blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin and shall continue to cleanse you. So when Christ appears, you shall be faultless. The blood of Jesus never loses its power. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, watch it. I mean, read it rather. Here it comes. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved, blameless, faultless. Amen? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful prayer. But it's more than a prayer. Let's read on to the next verse. It's a promise. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Wow. Grace has gripped your life, and the God of grace is never going to let you go. He guarantees that when Christ returns, your whole spirit, soul, and body will be blameless. What, what, what is a, blame, a body that is blameless? A blameless body is a body from which sin has been totally removed. Until then, we have to struggle with the flesh, but then the flesh will be removed. Amen? Indwelling sin will be removed from us. We will be perfected in resurrected bodies. Why? Because God is faithful. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, when I was meditating on this, the word fellowship gripped me. Fellowship. Because this is the answer. The grip of grace is not a rope. It's not even the extension of an arm. The grip of grace is the embrace of a person. Because grace's name is Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. And what he's saying is as you are brought into fellowship, partnership, communion with Jesus, that's where your security is. 
No matter how many times you slip or fall or fail and all that kind of stuff, and you might have written yourself off, and the devil certainly has, and, and maybe even your brothers and sisters, they were there with the first to accuse you and denounce you. Anybody been there? Amen. Well, I shouldn't say amen because I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just saying that happens. But when you are in the embrace of Christ, the grace of Christ, His power is imparted to your life and, and you know that that partnership with Jesus is the key thing. One more story. A great Bible teacher and scholar, F.B. Mayer, has written many books. He writes about two German tourists or expedition people wanted to climb the Matterhorn, very famous mountain peak. So they, to be safe, they hired three guides and they began their ascent up the steepest and the slipperiest part of that mountain. And as they ascended, the men roped themselves together in this order. At the head was a guide, then there was a traveler, then another guide, and another traveler, and a final guide. Five men all together, two travelers and three guides. But apparently, as they went up just a little bit of the way, the last man in the line slipped, lost his footing, and was just hanging by the rope. And because of his fall, the second guy slipped. So we have the guide and the traveler, and then the third guy, the guide, and then the fourth guy, the traveler, but the head of it all, he didn't slip because he had driven a spike deep into the ice and that spike held firm. So one by one, the men were able to recover their footing and go on to reach the summit. F.B. Mayer said, I'm like one of those guys that slipped. But because my security is in Christ and he has achieved for me a salvation that can never be broken. I was able to recover my grip and my step. And that's the encouragement that this verse gives us. Because Jesus has gone before, the Bible says in Hebrews, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the great pioneer the one who has gone before, the trailblazer, who's paved the way. He's got the head of the line. And because he is secure in who he is and what he's achieved for you, our security rests in him. And whatever we go through, we, we don't fall beyond recovery. We can recover. And God wants you to recover if you need that recover, recovery. If you are hanging by the end of the rope and you've lost your feet, you've lost your grip. Remember, Jesus is never going to leave his, lose his grip. The grip of grace has got a hold of you and is going to give you the opportunity to re-foot yourself and continue on the journey. And maybe this year you say, God, I want to follow so closely. And I now know that I can follow you, Jesus, without fear without having to worry about whether I'm going to make it in the end. And because we all reason, probably you will agree with me, that if anything depended on you, like if anything depended on me, I would not get there. I want to tell you that straight. If it was anything to do with me, I would not get there. There's enough in me that would guarantee that I'd lose it, blow it, with beyond recovery. But I'll tell you something. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. It's not what I can do. It's what Jesus has done for me. And the same applies to every single 
one of you. Amen and amen. Let's give Jesus a big praise right now. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. Before we close, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that is in Christ and the grace that is Christ. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that never loses its power and continues to wash us and cleanse us. We thank you that though our feet slip and at times, oh God, we, we almost feel as if we're going to lose it altogether, but you never lose it because you have won it and forever and the victory is secure and the grip of grace holds on to us. So encourage us, Lord, as we move forward into 2013 and deal with the issues in our lives, the stuff that is not consistent with who you are and who we are in you. Give us your grace that we can move forward from the sense of victory to victory, from glory to glory, and from grace to grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. <laughs>